just a minute here. My printer ran out of paper, so switching it up, going digital. So I think at some point in our life, all of us have asked this question, does God hear me? I feel like we're, uh, most of us are positioned over to the right, so I'm going to lean this way tonight. Um, so does God hear me? Are there moments where he doesn't hear me? Are there moments when I pray and it's just completely disconnected? Like when you're on a cell phone call and you're talking away to somebody and then you realize they haven't been there for 10 minutes and they call you back and you're like, I've been talking. I thought you were here. And you're like, where'd we leave off? You know, there's these moments where we feel like, does God hear me? Is he there? So are there moments when God doesn't hear us or he just shuts us out or doesn't listen? I think we've all asked that at some point, and that's what we're going to try to answer tonight. And growing up in church, I heard a variety of different things. I heard uh, I, this one guy told me, he's like, if you've got sin in your life, God doesn't hear you. And there's a verse in Psalms that says, if I hold on to iniquity in my heart, God won't listen to me. And then I had somebody tell me, they're like, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, actively following Jesus, Jesus just doesn't listen to your prayers. You can pray whatever, and Jesus is like, huh, not listening to it. And there's some verses that they try to back that up. Um, but I don't believe that prayer is a perk in the benefits package of being a Christian. I don't think that only Christians can pray. I think that God, being God, hears everybody, right? He's Jesus. The fact that you're God means that you hear and know everything. And so it's not like he's just like, I can't hear their prayers. I know all knowledge in the universe except what you just prayed. I don't know. He knows it all. And I think sometimes it's almost presented in a way of like, do you want the ear of the God of the universe? Sign up to become a Christian today. And we kind of sell it as like, this is the future of being a Christian. And there's some reasons, and we're going to talk about why I take this stance, but it's also personal for me. My dad was an atheist. I've shared his story before. Um, but he was living in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and he wasn't having very much success in the dating department. Um, I must take after him. I didn't have much success before I met wonderful Darby. But my dad was really struggling, and he was like, I'd like to be married. He had gone to college. He had decided there wasn't a God. He had dabbled in Buddhism and found it interesting but not fulfilling. And here's what he thought. There might be a God. I don't believe there is one, but what's it going to hurt? in the quiet of my bedroom with no one around for nobody to know for me to pray and say god i'd really like to have a wife and that's what he did and that was it it wasn't fancy he didn't know what else to say that's all he knew and his friend timmy calls him up and timmy we all have a wild friend timmy you know and timmy's one of those guys who he will like literally do anything you know he's the guy at the party where somebody says hey i bet you can't drink 100 beers and he'd be like yeah i bet i can and so this was my dad's best friend, Timmy. And Timmy says, I've been dating this girl, and she has a sister. We're going bowling. Why don't you come with us? And so that sister that my dad started dating was my mom. And so my mom and my dad get married. They end up moving down to Tennessee, and it's my mom who ends up going to church, hearing the message of Jesus for the first time in a way she can understand and begin praying for my dad. And ultimately, my dad comes to a point where he puts his faith and trust in Jesus. And now they live, they live a radically different life because of a prayer that someone who didn't know God, didn't even know that he believed, prayed. And so I think that God does hear prayers from everyone. But there is something unique about praying when you're a follower of Jesus. In fact, in John 1.12, Jesus said, To all who did receive him, he gave the right to be called children of God. 
to those who believe in his name. And so there's a relationship there. We go from just being creations of God to children of God when we believe on the name of Jesus Christ. And, you know, uh, I remember when my little brother, he's 16 years younger than me, so I'd be at the store with him, and he'd be in the cart, and I'd be wheeling around the store, and he'd see something, and he goes, I want this. And I'd look at the price, and I'm like, it's affordable, I'll get you that for you. And then there'd be a kid in another cart being pushed around, and he'd go, oh, I want that too. I didn't buy it for the other kid, right? There was no relationship there. I'm like, oh, I'm glad that kid wants it. And so there are some special privileges, I think, about being called a child of God. And so I think there's some times where when you pray something and you're God's child, he says, hey, I'm going to do this because we have this relationship. But God hears everyone's prayers. And I think that ultimately he's going to work your prayer towards having a deeper, more meaningful relationship with him. If you don't have any relationship with him, he's going to try to answer your prayer in a way that will lead to you having a relationship. If you have a relationship, he's going to answer your prayer in a way that will deepen that relationship. But on the flip side, not only do we wonder sometimes, does God hear me? Sometimes we worry if God hears us. Have you ever prayed something stupid? Maybe when you were drunk or when you were high or maybe when you were just being really stupid. I dated some people and I'll pray, Lord, please let this work out. You know, they leave me and I'm like, please let them come back. That would be horrible. That would have been awful. I mean, it would be, well, we won't go into that. Obviously, I wouldn't be with Darby and that would be horrible, but even more so, sometimes you see where people end up and you're like, huh, God knew what he was doing. And so sometimes we pray things and we think, did God hear me when I prayed something stupid? Have you ever prayed something stupid? Um, when I started church planning, I prayed this. This is a stupid prayer. I said, God, don't let the church plant be too easy or too fast, lest I think I did it and I forget you. Now that sounds real spiritual, but I'm like, what an idiot. I should have prayed, Lord, make it easy and make it fast. And, um, and I think sometimes we worry about this. Like, what if God heard my stupid prayer and now he's answering it, right? Good news for you. God knows what you're praying and whether or not it's stupid. Um, I had a guy down in Tennessee and he told me, never ask God for patience. Just don't do it. And I'm like, why not? Like, patience is a fruit of the Spirit. I feel like we should be asking for fruits of the Spirit. He goes, God will give it to you. And I'm like, that sounds real ominous. What do you mean by that? He's like, you pray for patience? I got hit by a car and laid out on the, the road waiting for, waiting for an ambulance for over an hour. And he's like, God taught me patience through that. And I'm like, I, I don't think that we have a God who we need to be fearful to pray some things and ask for things because he's like, oh, I've been waiting for somebody to be dumb enough to ask for this so I can really give it to him. That's not the God we have. See, God answers every prayer request with logic and with love. Everything you ask, no matter when you pray, God answers with logic and with love. What do I mean by that? Logic, he thinks, what's the best way to go about answering? What's the best thing to do in this situation? And then love. What's best for this person that I care about? What's best for their heart? Because you're not just a number on a spreadsheet to God. You're a person that he infinitely loves. And so God looks at every request, whether it's a stupid one or a smart one, and he says, how can I answer this with logic and love? And so there's sometimes we ask for something stupid, and God says, your church plan's going to be hard enough, Alex. I don't have to make it hard and slow because it's going to do that on its own. I don't have to make it extra hard and slow for you. And God is gracious and kind. And I want to look here at uh, Matthew chapter 7. 
Jesus is teaching here, and he's teaching about how we make requests to God. And he says in verse 9, Who among you, if your child asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if your child asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? I was uh, watching, I watched through this Amazon original series called Jack Ryan, based on the Tom Clancy books this week. And um, there was a terrorist in there who was doing these terrorist attacks in Europe, and these are fictional characters. But it was interesting, in his home, he loved his kids. And he's like killing people in Europe and France and doing these terrorist attacks in America. And then he has his home life where he's buying his kids iPads and he's going to Europe to do this terrorist attack. And then he's coming back with gifts and he's like, I picked up this doll for you. And there's something about even some of the worst people sometimes love their kids. And that's what Jesus is getting into. Some of you think that you're better parents than God is a parent to you. Some of you think that you would treat kids better than God treats you. He's like, nobody, if their kid is like, I'm really hungry, give me some bread. They're like, you're the rock, chew on that, kid. You know, but somehow that's what we think God is, would say. We act like that's how God responds to our requests. Or we're like, can I have a fish? And he's like, take this poisonous snake. No parent, no good parent would do that. And sometimes we think that God does that to us. We ask for something and it's like, man, I asked for bread, God gave me this rock. That's not how God responds. In fact, God is an infinitely better gift giver than the best human gift giver you know or can imagine. Like maybe you have somebody in your family and they're like, they always get the best gifts. God's better at getting gifts than that. And I think of, if you ever watch Parks and Recreation, uh, the old NBC sitcom, Leslie Nope on there, she would always get these elaborate gifts. She knew exactly what everybody would want and she'd have all these steps. God's a better gift giver than Leslie Nope. Now, just think for a minute, where other church can you go and get that same? So, only here at Horizon. Um, but when I worked in Tennessee, I had a 45-minute commute from where I lived into the city where I worked at, at an insurance company. And they were doing construction. Like, I worked for nine years at this insurance company as I finished up seminary. And um, they were always doing construction on this road. They were widening it forever. Now, after all this time, I think now it took them like 14 years to finish widening this road. But anyway, they were always doing construction on it. And so there was always rebar and garbage out on the road and I was always getting flat tires. And so I'd be laid into work, blow a tire, flat tire. I changed so many tires in those nine years. And so this one week, I had three flat tires in a week. I was so frustrated. I missed like an important staff meeting I was supposed to be at, and I'm calling my boss, and I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm changing a tire on the side of the interstate, I'll be there as soon as I can. And he's like, another one? You're already late this week. And I'm like, I'm not blowing these on purpose, I'm not making this up, this is real. And I remember going to church, and I told somebody, I was like, I've had three flat tires this week. And you know what they said? Boy, God sure has a sense of humor, doesn't he? And I'm like, what? Like, I'm so frustrated and angry and like, why have I had to do this? And they're like, I bet God's just kicking back, laughing at this one. I, I don't think that God is laughing about your pain or laughing about your suffering or laughing about you waiting for your answer. 
See, God doesn't think it's funny to watch you suffer or to watch you wait. He's a good gift giver. And God's not up in heaven just having a good laugh. He's like, oh, those morons are still praying. It's going to be three more years before I answer that. That's not the God of the Bible at all. This picture that Jesus gives us of a loving father who wants to give gifts to their children. But all that being said, that's the preface. I think there are some things that affect our prayer life. And I think there's three things we need to look at that the Bible talks about affects our prayer life and affects our conversation with God. And that's how we're going to take the rest of this time to talk about these three things. First of all, if you need to have a conversation with somebody, don't go talk to God instead to get out of having the hard conversation you need to have with another human being. Have you seen this with kids? Like there'll be two kids down here playing and the one will like slap the other and the mom's like, apologize to your sister right now. And the little boy goes over to the mom, hugs her and says, I love you, mom. You seen this? No, maybe I, I did stuff like that. You know, I pick on my sister and my mom would be like, go apologize to your sister. And I'm like, you're such a good mom. Like it's a deflection, right? And I think sometimes rather than having the hard conversation we need to have with another human being, we're like, I'll pray about it. I'll just talk to God. And what God actually says is if you need to talk to someone, if you need to deal with an issue, do that first, then talk to me. In Matthew 5, 23 through 24, Jesus says, if you're bringing in an offering to the altar, if you're bringing something to God and you're going to lay it down in worship, but you have an issue with somebody else, go take care of the issue, leave your gift and come back. Because dealing with your human problems needs to take place before you have communication with your Heavenly Father. These are your brothers and sisters. And God says, hey, hey, you don't get out of dealing with these problems down here by talking to me. And sometimes we think, oh, I'll just go talk to God. And God's like, oh, let's deal with this first before we get back to having this conversation. So I think our prayer life is affected because sometimes we're avoiding a human conflict that we need to resolve. And instead, we're trying to go to God. And God's like, take care of this first. Deal with this stuff so that we can go back to having a conversation. Because God's like, if you talk to me, I'm only going to be saying one thing. Deal with this. Deal with this deal with this. Until that's dealt with, he's not going to talk about anything else. Just like a parent would if the brother comes in and slaps the sister and he, she says, the mom says, hey, you need to apologize to your sister. He could go and clean his room. He could go and unload the dishwasher. But the mom's going to keep saying the same thing. Go tell your sister you're sorry. Go tell your sister you're sorry over and over again until it's taken care of. And so our human relationships can affect our prayer life. But the second one that can also be affected is sometimes we ask for the right things for the wrong reasons. See, God's always interested in the motivation for what, why we do what we do. He wants to know why you're doing it. He's like, well, it's nice to do right things, but it's better to do right things for the right reason. And in James chapter 4, um, James says, you know what, sometimes your prayers aren't answered because you ask for things so that you can spend them on your lusts, on your passions, on your desires. You ask for selfish, destructive things, and God's never going to give you something that's going to hurt you. It'd be like as a kid, and you're like, hey mom, can I have a shot of heroin? Mom's like, no, that's not good for you. But in the spiritual sense, that's what we ask for sometimes. We come to God and we say, God, give me a shot of spiritual heroin. And he's like, you don't need that garbage. 
Like, I'm not going to give that to you. And I think sometimes we come to God and we think, is there a disconnect here? I keep asking for this, but we're asking for something selfish or even for a selfish or wrong reason. And so sometimes our conversations with God literally come to, it's, turn out to us. We keep asking for something destructive, something that's wrong, and he keeps saying no, and we're like, why isn't this conversation going anywhere? Why isn't our relationship developing together? And because we're asking for the wrong thing for the wrong reason. And the third reason I think sometimes that it feels like there's a disconnect in our prayer life is because of sin in our life. And um, I want to build this out a little bit and talk about this a little bit. But in Psalm 66, 18, I referenced that at the beginning. It says, when I hold on to iniquity, when I hold on to something that's destructive in my life, it gets in the way of me talking to God. God won't listen to what I'm saying. And so it would be like you as a uh, person holding an open flame in your hands and your parents saying, drop the fire, drop the fire. And you're like, I want to talk about my allowance right now. And they're like, put the fire down. Your hands are on fire. Put it down. And then we can talk about your allowance. You know, um, this week, Darby bought me the new Call of Duty as an early uh, uh, birthday present. And uh, so one of the first missions in there, they hand you a flashbang and they're like, throw it at an enemy and it disorients them. And so a flashbang, like if you're familiar with the military, throws down and makes a bright white flash. It makes this loud ringing noise and you can't see what's going on. And in the video game, it's like your screen's all blurred and wiped out. You hear this loud noise and I just fire wildly and then I usually end up dead. So when you sin, God doesn't go away. It's not like he's like, oh, you messed up again. You did something self-destructive or destructive to other people or destructive to my world. I'm just done with you. He's still right there. But what a, what a sin does is it's like a flashback. It blinds us to God's presence. We can't see where he's working. We don't recognize where his hand is reaching out for us. And it deafens us to his voice. And for some of us, we're praying to God and we're like, this is a one-way call and I'm not hearing anything. Sometimes it's because we're holding on to something destructive in our life and it's blinding us to his presence and deafening us to his voice. And so God says, what do you do? Maybe you've got a conversation you need to have or maybe you've been asking for the right things for the wrong reasons or maybe you're holding on to something destructive in your life that's getting in the way of you hearing and recognizing God's presence. Well, the Bible gives us a simple answer of what to do and it's called confession. And confession is an important part about prayer and it seems to be a part about prayer that we often forget. In fact, most of the time when we think of prayer, we think of asking for something. We say, I want this God, give it to me. And we talked about that in our first um, message where we talked about prayer is about aligning with God, not getting what we want. But confession is not saying, I'm sorry. Confession is saying, God, you are right. You're right. What I was doing is destructive and without excuse. And what's interesting is the Bible promises if we confess what we've done wrong, he promises to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So when we confess to God, hey, I did this, you're right. You say it's destructive, it is destructive. You are right, and I shouldn't have done that because I can see where it's been destructive in my life. I did it, I chose to do it, it was wrong. It says that God begins to clear the air between us. 
And suddenly there's these open lines of communication again that we can see him working, we can hear his voice, and we can have open communication with him again. So as we talk about our prayer challenges this week, I think first of all, is there a human relationship that you need to restore before you try to have conversation with your Heavenly Father? In the book of 1 John, John says, don't tell me you love God when you hate your brother. He says, how could you love God who you haven't seen if you hate your brother that you see all the time? And I think it's the same idea. Sometimes we have this human relationship that we're ignoring when we're trying to talk to God. And God's like, I made that human that you have a problem with, that you have an issue with, that you have an unresolved situation with. And God's like, get that thing resolved first, then come back and talk to me. So maybe there's a human relationship you need to deal with, you need to address, you need to ask someone for forgiveness. But then also I think that it's important for us to confess. We should keep short lists with God. We should come to God and say, you know what? All of us are equally in need of Jesus, and here's where I've desperately recognized how far I still have to go in my life this week. Sometimes I'm praying and I'm thinking, why does it feel so like my prayers aren't going anywhere? You know, like I've got a bow and arrow and I'm shooting these arrows and they're going, you know, they're just falling off the end of the bow. They're not going up to heaven. And many times I have to stop and think, where in my life am I saying, thinking, or doing destructive things that are hurting myself, hurting other people, or hurting the world that God made? Confess those things. God clears the air between us and there's open lines of communication again. I'm going to read here in 1 John 1, 9. In 1 John 1, 9, it says this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But if we say we have not sinned, we call God a liar and we haven't really accepted his word. I want to take just a little bit of time here before we go into our time of communion to have a time of confession. Because even the Apostle Paul, when he was writing to the churches in the first century, he said, before you take of communion, before you remember what Jesus did for you, take some time to examine yourself. Take some time to confess. Because sometimes there's some smoke, there's some uh, bright lights that have blinded us, and there's some ringing noises that have deafened us to God. And so I'm going to give us just a few minutes of quiet. Take this time where you are. You say, hey, God, here's something destructive I've done in my life. And I agree with you. You said it was destructive, and you're right. And I want you to wipe that away. And then after that, I'll close this out in prayer, and then we'll go into our time of communion. God, we're grateful that you are a God of grace. You're not a God who gives us what we deserve, but you're a God who offers us constant forgiveness and mercy. But God, forgive us for the moments when we hold on to something destructive instead of letting it go. And God, I pray that right now that you'll bring to our minds and to our hearts and to our souls 
a reminder about some of the destructive things that we know we shouldn't be saying, we shouldn't be doing, we shouldn't be thinking. And God, we're grateful that when we agree with you, when we say, you're right, God, that's a destructive thing in my life. You wipe it away. Those lines of communication are opened again so that we can see where you're working and hear your voice. God, I pray that you forgive us for our pride, for our anger and for our arrogance, for our bitterness. Lord, for our lust, for our passions. Lord, I pray that you forgive us for being gluttonous, for being people who desire things rather than relationships. And God, we want to pray for our city and our community. Philadelphia is a city filled with people who have many times have done evil things even in your name. And God, we pray that you will forgive those who have used your name and have used your message to amass power or wealth, to take advantage of people, to abuse people. And God, we pray that in our community, you will make us a people who live and love like you do. Thank you for hearing us, and thank you for promising that when we agree with you about what we, what's destructive in our life, that you wipe it away. And you restore our eyes and you restore our ears to see and hear your presence. And we pray all these things like we believe Jesus would pray for us. Amen. So we're going to partake in communion tonight. And in just a minute, I'm going to ask the band to come up. But I want to read just a short passage about communion. Um, just a few practical things, first of all. So... If you haven't had communion with us before, I'll talk a little bit about why we have communion, what it is, what the, the, uh, the point of it is. But anyone is welcome to partake of communion if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And what do I mean by that? I mean that you've repented and you've said, you know what, I can't make it through life on my own. I need you, Jesus, to be my Lord and Savior. And you've decided to become a follower of Jesus. You don't have to be a member of the church. You don't have to be baptized. But you have to have decided Jesus is my master. In fact, Paul says, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you shouldn't do this or make light of it or make fun of it because it's a solemn time. It's a time to celebrate, but it's also a time to be introspective. And so why do we do this? What is this weird thing that churches do where they, they take bread or they take wafers and they take juice or they take wine? Well, Jesus, right before he was about to be killed in Matthew chapter 26, in verse 26, he was sitting down with his disciples, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, and he said, take and eat this. This is a picture of my body. And then he took the cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. In Luke, Jesus includes this command, do this to remember me. And why do we do this as a church? We do this to remember what Jesus did for us. He died on the cross. He paid full penalty for our sins. And he invites anyone who wants to have a relationship with God to have that relationship through himself. He freely offers forgiveness to all who believe by 
And so if you've never done that, you can do that right now. You don't have to come up front. You don't have to pray some crazy prayer. But it looks simply like this, saying, Jesus, I need you. I can't make it on my own. I can't get to God on my own. I can't ever be good enough. And we've all seen that, right? Anytime we try to be good, I'm usually self-destructive, and I, uh, I'm not good very long before I mess up. And so we all recognize we can't be good on our own and say, Jesus, I want to live and love like you. I want to be your follower. And then Jesus invites those who have become his follower to take of the bread and take of the juice and as a way to remember the sacrifice that he made for us. It's a way to remember that God infinitely loves you. And I think a lot of times we forget, and that's why Jesus told us, do this to remember me. And if I might add, I think he's saying by extension, do this to remember the way and to the extent that I love you. And so when you come up, just break off a piece of the bread, dip it in the juice. We've got juice rather than wine. And, uh, and then just as you eat that, remember, Jesus loves you. Jesus is for you and with you. I'm going to invite the band to come up. I'm going to pray. And then um, we'll take a few minutes. Lord Jesus, we're so grateful that you came into this world and you had every right to come into this world and to tell us about how badly we had messed things up. But instead, you came into this world and you said, I have not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. And we're so grateful that you came in, you taught us how to live and love like you did, and then you went to the cross and died for crimes you didn't commit to pay the penalty for our sin. And we're so grateful you didn't stay dead, but you came back to life, affirming that full payment had been made. And Lord, we take of this bread, we take of this juice, as a way to remember that you died for us. You loved us and you sacrificed everything for us. Thank you for being a good God, for being a better God than we deserve, for being a God who is with us and for us, a God who hears our prayers and like a good father, answers them tenderly and kindly. A God who, when we ask for bread, doesn't give us a stone. And a God who, when we foolishly ask for a snake, you say, here's a fish instead. And God, I pray that you will be honored and glorified through this time. 